So in the Bible, it makes it very clear, and there's a, an undeniable connection that's communicated throughout God's word between a person who is a Christian and the Holy Spirit. I mentioned this earlier in the series, 63% of Americans identify as a Christian, but many of them don't know what it means to be born again. And secondly, they don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And it reminds me of, of Paul's conversation that he has uh, with the Ephesian disciples in Acts chapter 19. And in verse one, it says this, and it happened why, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So church, that's the question I really have been driving at throughout this series. Have you or did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? If a person does not have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in them, that person doesn't belong to Jesus. And you say, well, how do you say that? Why do you say that? Because that's what the Bible says, Romans chapter 8. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in you, it says. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, he is not his. You don't belong to him. So it doesn't matter if we believe in Jesus, identify as Christians, or, or maybe you were born to dedicated Christian parents, and you do not become a Christian by merit or by heredity. You must be born again. We become a Christian when we repent of our sins, turn our hearts to Jesus with genuine faith, and we receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that it's God's desire that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In order for that to happen, we have a, an association with the Holy Spirit even prior to salvation. Now just hang with me just for a second. We have an association or some type of influence with the Holy Spirit before we even come to repentance. Let me show you that here. Listen to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit and his work in John chapter 6, verse 44. Now, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up in the last day. God draws sinners to repentance by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, speaking about the Holy Spirit, says this in John 16, 8. And when he has come, and speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit will convict sinners of their sins, giving them a chance to either accept or reject uh, that conviction. They will either uh, repent of their sins or they will harden themselves more to the work of the Holy Spirit. I, can never, I will never forget the night that I first experienced the convicting power of the Holy Spirit for myself. You, you probably know this, I've mentioned it before, if you didn't, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't, I didn't grow up in a, in a family that went to church. It was almost 30 years ago when I, when I got saved, but I was, I was sitting in my truck, and quite frankly, I was going to go to a bar and meet with some friends of mine after work, and as I sat there in that bar, I felt conviction, just instant conviction. Now, I'll be honest with you, I had no conviction any time before. I had no problems going in there and hanging out with my friends and drinking, but for whatever reason that night, and I remember it was, a, it was, a, it was either 
I believe it was January the 8th, and it was cold. That's why I was sitting in the truck, because I was like, man, I don't even know if I want to get out. It's so stinking cold. I decided that I'm going to get out here in just a second. I'm, I'm sitting there and just kind of staying warm. That's when conviction hit me. Just instantly I knew I am not on the right path. I am not going the right way. Now, I had no feeling of that whatsoever prior. What was different? I believe this. I had a praying mother. And the Holy Spirit began to draw me, gripped my heart in that moment. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do this tonight. I'm going to go home and uh, I'm going to go to church. Went home that night, asked my mom, said, hey, are you going to church uh, the next morning? Of course she was. By then she had given her life to Jesus. She'd been serving uh, the Lord for about a year, year and a half. So I said, uh, I'm going to go to a church with you. But I, I had a good idea. I took backup with me. I called Jenny. And I figured that way if things went bad, that I always had a way to get out. We could just leave. You know what I'm saying? But um, I took Jenny with me, and she, she went to church with me. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't get saved that Sunday. But the Holy Spirit had already put his meat hooks into me. It already began to work in my life. I could feel, I could feel the presence of God in that church. I, could, I knew something was different in that building with those people. And over the course of the next few weeks, I, I started going to church. Uh, I began reading my Bible, praying as the best I could. And I just remember one Sunday afternoon after church, and <clears throat> I remember the message, and I, I, pro I should have responded to the altar, but I had too much pride, too much whatever. I, I didn't want to go down front. And, uh, but the Holy Spirit was dealing with me. Uh, we had mom always fixed dinner. Uh, Dad always bragged. He didn't go to church at the time that he cooked dinner. Uh, all he did was put the roast in the oven. But anyways, um, I remember we had dinner and everything. I believe Jenny went home after church, and uh, uh, I went into my bedroom, closed the door, and I just knelt there beside the bed, made an altar right there, gave my life to Jesus, and something happened in that moment. Now, I can't explain it. I can't say that it was drastic. I can't say that the, the angels were singing, there was a halo over my head or anything like that, but but something changed right here. I surrendered my life to Jesus. You know, the Holy Spirit was dealing with me. He was moving my life. He was drawing me closer to Jesus. And finally, I just responded with repentance. And repentance, in, as in this manner, I just surrendered. And I just gave him my life. Church, we don't, we don't become Christians like people become Republicans, Democrats, or Independents. You know, you don't, you don't just check off a form and say, I'm a Christian and there it's so. I believe I'm a Christian. I identify as a Christian. That, that doesn't work. Because Paul was very clear with the Ephesians. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And if you received the Holy Spirit, you should know that. I know something changed in me. I look back now, I know what happened. The Holy Spirit came into my life. He dwelled in me. And that was the difference. I, he made me a new person. And I'm just saying this, we can't just identify as Christians, and it's so. You must be born again. Jesus made that abundantly clear. We become Christians, not by so much a decision, but really by commitment and then an experience. We are born again by the Spirit of God. And again, Jesus made this clear to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And again, I know that earlier in the series, we talked about John 3.16. Well, the same conversation Jesus has in John 3.16 is with this man named Nicodemus. And he says this to Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of 
water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And throughout his ministry, Jesus emphasized the Holy Spirit, his arrival and his role in the lives of the disciples. And Jesus shared this in John 14, 16 regarding the Holy Spirit. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or another helper to help you and to be with you forever. Verse 17, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you. And look at this, and he will be in you. He will be in you. See, at this time and place, the disciples were not born again. Why do we know that? Because Jesus had not died on the cross. He had not been resurrected, so the Holy Spirit could not be received. And he alludes to this in the future. He will be in you, the Holy Spirit. Jesus went on to say this about the Holy Spirit in John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And Jesus reminded the disciples it was to their advantage. Church, how we worship today, the time of our lives, after, after Jesus has paid the sacrifice and sent the Holy Spirit, we are sitting in a wonderful place. We don't have to uh, think about the Holy Spirit coming in a sense that we're waiting and waiting for him. If you are born again, you have received him. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. While I understand we all want to see Jesus face to face, let's never forget the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you if you're born again. Romans 8, 11 reminds us that. But if the spirit of him who raised Christ or raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same Holy Spirit who gave Jesus life, glorified him, empowered him for that glorified life is the same Holy Spirit who dwells in those who are born again. And the Spirit of God enables us to live in newness of life. When did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit? When did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit? Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit coming and he would dwell in them. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. When was the first chance, the first opportunity the disciples had to receive the Holy Spirit? And we know that was on the night of the resurrection in John chapter 20, verse 19. Then that same evening, or same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus could, came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said, had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The disciples received the Holy Spirit that evening, the evening of the resurrection. That's the moment they were born again. If you look at the lives of the disciples prior to new birth, and you compare it with their lives after new birth, there is an undeniable difference between the two. The way the disciples lived and functioned before receiving the Holy Spirit, they were following Jesus, but they weren't born again. And you compare that to the way they live after they receive the Holy Spirit and live for Jesus. It's a complete different picture. 
prior to new birth, the disciples didn't have a new nature. They didn't have the Holy Spirit inside them, empower them. They couldn't serve Jesus as Lord. But when you are born again, you have a new nature. The Spirit of God dwells in you, and he can empower you to live in newness of life. I'm not saying the disciples were perfect after receiving uh, the Holy Spirit, because they weren't. And just like you and I, if you're born again, you're not perfect. But here is the change. He's given you a new nature, a new heart, new desires, and you can serve God. You can serve Jesus as Lord. And if you look at the book of Acts, you read through the book of Acts. I mean, Peter, for example, is a wonderful example. Paul is another great example. When you look at his life and Paul's life and many of the other disciples, there is this change, this change that takes place in church. We should experience that same change. There's not a different Holy Spirit. There's not a different power. There's not a different level that's available to us. If we are born again and the Holy Spirit genuinely lives in us, there should be a change. These people aren't any better than you and I. They aren't more, than, more deserving than you and I. In fact, I would say this, now more than ever, we need the Holy Spirit. The only difference between us and them is our desire and their desire. The disciples were hungry for God, and we said evident in their lives. Hungry for all that God had promised them. I pray we become more hungry for God's presence and his promises. On the evening of the resurrection, the disciples received the Holy Spirit. They were born again. For the next 40 days, Jesus spends with the disciples. Remember, we forget that period of time. So important for three, three and a half years. They, they really have trouble understanding what he's teaching. They get confused. They don't always get it. But these next 40 days, a resurrected Jesus spends with disciples who are born again. They get it. And we know they get it because look at their lives afterwards. Jesus gives them the teachings about the, the kingdom of God, and they put it into practice after he ascends into heaven. So he spends 40 days with them after the resurrection, and he says this to them in, 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 in regards of the promise that they will receive. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Remember, at this time, they are born again. They've received the Holy Spirit when Jesus shares these words with them in Acts chapter 1. And this is right before he ascends into heaven. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The disciples are born again. They receive the Holy Spirit on the evening of the resurrection. The Spirit of God dwells in them. But Jesus tells these disciples to wait into Jerusalem until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And once they receive that promise, they are empowered to be a witness. They're instructed to go and be witnesses. When we read the book of Acts, that's exactly what takes place. The disciples leave the upper room after receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they go out and they become witnesses. Church, God wants to pour out his spirit on us today. Now more than ever, this world desperately needs Jesus. It desperately needs witnesses. As we can see from the example of the disciples and all the other examples from, from born-again believers in the book of Acts, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that is separate and distinct from salvation. Again, the night of the resurrection, 
the disciples received the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days later, is when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This promise, this promise of the Father, we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't about tongues. Did the disciples speak with other tongues as they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes, undeniable. This, this took place. But we get so fixed on tongues, and I don't know why, when we should just be fixed on receiving the promise. When it comes to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, seek Jesus. He is our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He sends us the Holy Spirit. If you seek tongues, you are seeking the wrong thing. You don't seek tongues, you seek Jesus. You seek his promise. If you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, tongues will be a sign. But it's not necessary for us to focus on tongues. That's what people do. They, they come to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all they think about is tongues. Focus on receiving a promise from Jesus. That's all you got to do. Receive that promise from him by faith. It's been made available to you. The only consistent physical manifestation that we find documented throughout Scripture that is associated with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the only consistent one that you find in each of the four examples in the book of Acts is tongues. Are there other things that take place? Yep, but the only consistent one in all four is tongues. After receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the disciples obey Jesus immediately, and they go out into the temple courts. I mean, they don't wait for anything. They go out and they become witnesses. And Peter, Peter's so, I mean, again, same Peter, the same Peter who, who he dies through Jesus three times, the same Peter is so emboldened, so empowered by the Spirit that he leaves that place, the upper room, and he goes into the temple courts and he begins preaching. Remember, he is not a preacher. He is a fisherman. But God has so transformed him, empowered him, that he is emboldened. He goes out and he preaches. And what happens is it's really the first message of the Christian church. Peter goes out and preaches on the day of Pentecost. What does he preach? Acts chapter 2. Now when they heard this, he preached the gospel. And this is the reception of that message. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, by the way, cut to the heart is conviction. It's from the Holy Spirit. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Repent. And let everyone you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Again, you shall receive the Holy Spirit. These devout Jews heard the message. They're convicted of their sin. That's, again, a work of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says these people were cut to the heart and asked Peter, what must we do to be saved? Peter, who couldn't stand up for Jesus 50 days earlier, testifying, denies him three times, now baptized in the Spirit, tells this crowd of worshipers what they must do to be saved. Now, I don't know what you call that, church, but I call that a dramatic change. And that is a dramatic change not because this guy had a, an epiphany or just a uh, uh, whatever, a great idea. 
it was a change of his heart and nature. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was a witness. When we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we should be a Spirit-empowered witness. I mean, that is the reason. Remember, you don't leave Jerusalem. You don't leave that place until you receive power. And then when you receive that power, you go out and become witnesses. And I don't know why it is in many of our churches, many Assembly of God churches, many Pentecostal churches, will offer this, this wonderful promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but we leave out the purpose. The main underlying purpose is a Spirit-empowered witness. But we'll turn around and make it all about tongues. Are tongues a sign? Absolutely. But it's not all about tongues. It's about a Spirit-empowered witness. You find me a person that has said they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they speak in other tongues, that's great, and they aren't a Spirit-empowered witness. They're just as nasty as they were as the day before. I got a problem with that. Because why? Because we should all have a problem with that. Because that's not what the Bible says. That's not what takes place in these instances. Peter doesn't go back and start denying Jesus. He's a spirit-empowered witness. And again, tongues are a sign in receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it's not all about the tongues. Here are the results of Peter receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and being a spirit-empowered witness. And, and this is what takes place after he preaches the gospel he tells them what they must do to be saved. This is what takes place in verse 40. And with, so, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word and were baptized about that day were about 3,000 souls were added to them. And look at the reaction of these people. See, this is another problem. When people get saved, they receive Jesus. This should take place in their lives. Those who gladly received the word were baptized. About 3,000 souls were added that day. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone who had need. Again, 3,000 people become Christians that day. 3,000 new converts, and they need discipleship, and that's exactly what they do. They're discipled. They continue in the apostles' doctors. They're breaking of bread and prayer. They have a community of faith that they're committed to. There's signs and wonders. But when I look at that, I see something that stands out of, that, of their reaction. They, they are generous, and they begin to give. Now, nobody told them they had to be generous. No one told them they needed to hey, when you become a Christian, you need to sell everything, give all your possessions to the poor who are among us. So why did they do that? And that's, that's one that stands out to me, and here's why. It is proof, it is evidence that the Spirit of God was working in those people, because you know this, I know, and I know this, when I got saved, the next day, I didn't feel like giving all my stuff away. I'm just saying, I didn't feel like, I, I, had, I think at the time, I at least had two cars, at one time I had three cars, but I didn't decide I just want to give them all away. And what I see is there's no, there's no prompt. There's no, no, no one is telling them to do this. It is a work of the Spirit taking place in them. It is evidence that these people have, something has changed in them. Because nobody just says, hey, I'm just going to start giving away my stuff. It's a transforming work. See, a Christian who is born again will bear spiritual fruit. That was my point last week. Spiritual fruit is the evidence of the indwelling of the Spirit in a person. They're Submitted to Christ. They're yielding themselves to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God empowers them, gives them life. They live that life. They're more like Jesus. The disciples were born again on the evening of the resurrection, but they did not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit until the day of Pentecost. 
And what did the church do for those 10 days? That's, and we find that in the book of Acts. They, they prayed. They sought God. They sought God for 10 days, prayed, waited for God to pour out his promise. And these people were patient, and they sought God for 10 days because they were hungry. And today, in most of our churches, let's, fi- let's face it, we find it difficult to spend 10 minutes around the altar. These people sought God for 10 days. How hungry are we? We, we have a microwave mentality. We want it fast. We want it our way. If it doesn't work, well, I guess it just wasn't so. Why are we just patient with God? Why are we hungry for God? Today, in most of our churches, we find it difficult to send 10 minutes around the altar. We'll, we'll spend an hour or two around a football game or whatever, but why aren't we experiencing what the early church experienced? Has anything changed? Has God said, you know what? I'm not going to pour out my spirit anymore. I'm not going to empower people to be a witness. I, I'm going to change all that. No, nothing has changed. We just aren't hungry, church. We just aren't hungry. And our hunger is proved by our commitment and our desires. We have as much as God as we want, each and every one of us. You're as close to Jesus as you want to be right now. Hey, there's nothing stopping you. All you got to do is do this. To follow Jesus, to get closer to him, to close the gap is just to take a step forward. And you become closer to him. It's up to you. He's not saying, hey, whoa, whoa, you don't, not so close. And church, my hope, my prayer is first and foremost that you're born again. Every one of you. And if, if you're not born again, you don't belong to Jesus. And I don't care what card you sign, what identification you make, you don't belong to him. That's not my opinion or interpretation. Jesus said, you must be born again. Secondly, my hope and prayer is this, that you receive the same promise the disciples experienced on Pentecost. That you're filled, empowered, baptized, immersed, anointed, whatever you want to say, with the Holy Spirit. The night I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't know what I was getting into. No clue whatsoever. I remember this, that there was a guest speaker. He just asked the church, are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for God? And I was hungry for God. And at the close of the message, the speaker said, if you're hungry for God, you want more of him, you want God to fill you with this spirit, come down to the altar. And I remember I came down to the altar. The altar was kind of like ours. It was a bigger church. But I came down front center. I was sitting on this side of the church, came down front center left. And as he goes down off the platform, begins praying for people, he begins at the left side of the altar. And I just began to worship God. I didn't didn't know what what he was doing, what he was saying or anything. I just began to worship the Lord, ask God to fill me with the Spirit. By the time he got to me, he goes, and I, I vividly hear him say this, he's already speaking in tongues. And, and then I, I realize he's talking about it. The next thing I know, he's praying for me, and I'm, I'm laying on the floor. I'm laying on the floor. I'm looking up the ceiling. My mom's crying. She's crying tears of joy. And Jenny's going, her eyes are like this, are you okay? Are you okay? Because she's just as bewildered as I am. I have no clue what I've just gotten into. I don't know what just happened. I mean, I was standing, I was praying, I'm now speaking in tongues, I'm laying on the floor. What is this about? All I did was this. I responded because I was hungry. From that moment on, something, I was born again. God changed me. I was changing. I was growing. But at that moment, something changed in me completely. Something happened to me dramatically. It was just different. And all I knew was this. When I first got up was, I just spoke in a language. I don't even know what it was. And what is that about? And after my experience, everything changed. There was an urgency in my spirit. There was an urgency to draw closer to God, to live holy. There's an urgency to share the gospel. And, and soon that desire in me became more than just 
leading people to Jesus and, and going to church. And no, from that moment on, God called me into ministry. From that day on, that became my pursuit. I, I figured this, I, I lived the first 21 years or so of my life for the devil, for myself. Now I'm going to live my life in full dedication to Jesus. And that's, that's exactly what it is. I tried to go to Bible college. That didn't work. <laughs> I was like, this is not for me. That's not the path for me. You know, I want a little expedited plan here. Can, can we work out? So I came back home, met with my pastor, and he told me, listen, the Assemblies of God have a ministerial program. It's through the Brian School of the Bible. You get your credentials that way. You can stay home. You guys, I know you and Jenny want to get married. You get married, and you can work your, your way through credentials and and all I'm saying is the, my ministry calling wasn't based on my, my qualifications or my education. It was, it was based on the Spirit of God upon me. And I just responded by faith. You know, in those days, today it's a lot easier. Corey, you can remember this. There were certain districts, you don't do anything in those districts unless you have credentials. For whatever reason, God opened the door for me, and I took it. And I, I was a full-time pastor before I had my credentials. I'm just saying this. I'm not saying that if you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're all going to become preachers. That's, that's not what I'm saying. You're all going to be called in full-time ministry. It's not for everybody. But God validated my call with his anointing and gave me opportunities I didn't deserve. Opportunities, doors that opened for me that I couldn't open, that he had to open for me. And all I had to do was walk through them, and that's what I did. Now, I look back on the night I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I can say without a doubt, my testimony validates my experience. Something happened to me that night. I had no plans, no dreams, no aspirations of ever becoming a pastor. My, my goodness, I couldn't even stand in front of people and talk. But when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, my purpose was unlocked. I didn't even know it was in there. I didn't know what God had created me, but that purpose became unlocked when he poured his spirit into me. God had a plan for my life. I didn't know about it. My life as a pastor is proof. It's evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not just my experience, but just look at the testimony. I think that's what's so important. When, when you look at someone who's received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they say that I, I had the same experience. Just look at their lives. And I'm not trying to be judgmental or harsh, but listen, an apple is an apple, an orange is an, an orange. And if an apple is an apple, it looks like an apple, talks like an apple, looks like an apple, smells like, tastes, whatever, it's an apple. And so when people say, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and there is no change, I just question the validity of their experience. Because I just know for myself, and I know from God's word, and I know from my wife, because, you know what, she saw the change in me too, and she, after a few months, she goes, I want what you have. And I prayed for her, and she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And like I said before, I knew it was real at that moment, not just because of my own experience, because Jenny's not going to fake it for anybody. If you aren't born again, surrender your life to Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit first and foremost. And the only obstacle to receiving the Holy Spirit and experiencing new birth is your flesh. Some of you have a strong belief and strong views in this, but you're missing something, and it just might be this. You say, well, I grew up in church, and this, that. That doesn't matter. You must be born again. You must receive the Holy Spirit. And the only, the only secret to it is this, I can tell you, is you just got to surrender. You just literally have to say, I give up, and I receive. And you know what? And I know in my experience, I had said that a couple times, but I didn't really mean it. But when I knelt by my bed on that Sunday morning, I was true and honest with God. I'm going to give it all to you. When you truly give your life over to Jesus, that's when you experience new birth. And you recognize the difference between new life and religion. 
If you're born again, but you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need to receive that promise. Number one, it's available to you. And then number two is just the day and the age we live in now more than ever need to receive that promise. Is it a requirement for salvation? No, it's not a requirement. You must be born again. You must be saved. That's it. But why wouldn't you want all that Jesus has available for you? Very few are called to be pastors, and thank God for that. But everyone is called to be a witness. And every one of us need to be empowered to be a witness. And today I pray you're hungry for God, hungry to receive the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, hunger, hungry to receive all Jesus has for you. And if you've received this promise already, it's, it's wonderful. But if you aren't being a witness as you should, you can say, well, pastor, on this day, on this time, I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've spoken out of tongues. Well, afterwards, were you changed? Afterwards, I don't care how often you speak in tongues. Did, was there a change in your life? Was there a change in the trajectory of your life? How you lived your life and how you witnessed? Because if we look at the lives of the disciples, that's exactly what took place in their lives.